Hello. Leave me alone. I'm trying to get famous, you know. Hello. Hello. Navient has asked me to share my success story. I uh, recently paid off all of my student loans. And uh, I don't know, a week later, uh, they send me an email with a little like, you know, like a little uh, emoji of exploding confetti saying congratulations and a little a little tab for me to click asking me to share my success story <laughs> um and i had uh i told a couple people you know like on a monday so what'd you do this weekend you know it's like well i i paid off my very last student loan and uh all of them you know just a handful of people but all of them asked what I was going to do to celebrate. <laughs> and I told him, I think I'm going to celebrate by storming the fucking Capitol. And firstly, before I get into student loans, um, what is this American obsession with celebrating every little fucking thing? Is it that American life is such a monotonous money-grubbing slog that we have to break up the drudgery with manufactured holidays. And it's not just the pandemic. It's not just, you know, lockdown. Um, that would make more sense. But this has been going on at least the last two decades. We didn't have holidays for everything when I was growing up. We had regular established holidays. But now, like every boring middle-class girl and boy, they need a junior prom and a senior prom and a homecoming and a debutante ball or a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah or fucking quinceanera. High school graduation, college graduation, grad school graduation, an engagement party, a housewarming party, a bridal shower, a wedding, a baby shower, a gender reveal party, all on top of just regular birthdays and holidays. Is any day not a holiday? And if every day's a holiday, cool. I'm not anti-holiday. <laughs> but if everything's a holiday, then kind of nothing's a holiday. If we want to treat life, you know, like we're living in Spain and we get a nice 2 hour siesta every day. I'm down for that. I'm I'm not a I'm not a hus I'm not an advocate of the hustle of the American hustle chasing after that that productivity like it's at some point at the end of it you're going to be in heaven because you produced and hustled 
the minimum amount required to achieve salvation. Also, whenever someone I know has like a gender reveal party for their baby, I, I secretly hope that baby will tell their parents that they're trans when they're like seven or eight years old and, and grow up to being annoying activists, you know, that goes to an expensive art school on their parents' dime and then make shitty social justice art that makes no money. So anyway, on top of all the contrived reasons to celebrate, now I'm supposed to throw a paid-off-your-student-debt party. Fuck that. Celebration is normalization. I'm not happy or relieved I paid off my student loans. I'm fucking pissed. I was in the educated indentured class for 12 years. Like, why should that be normal? Why does that deserve any kind of celebration? That deserves a riot. That deserves fucking shit up and starting a riot. It wasn't normal when I graduated high school. Why would it be normal now? It is normal. And I'm, you know, nothing's going to change that. Short of civilization collapsing. And I don't know if that's a a reason <laughs> to justify tearing down anything, but it's fucking bullshit. And the least, at least we can recognize it's bullshit, not fucking fool ourselves by throwing a party and acting like paying off your student loans is some kind of, of uh, milestone or achievement. I should also say it was only women who asked how I was going to celebrate. The men's responses were kind of worse. The men invariably said something along the lines of, oh, cool, now you can start investing, or now you can start saving for a down payment on a house. Oh, cool, now you can buy more index funds. One dude said I should buy a bunch of Dogecoin, which at least is a little bit fun and interesting and frivolous. One girl did say to me, that's great. Now you can start saving for retirement. And I almost punched her in the face. Like, don't talk to me like I'm some middle-class boomer. <laughs> I'm middle-class Generation X, bitch. We were told in elementary school that Social Security would collapse under the weight of all those old, fat boomers that neglected us and turned us all into latchkey kids. We knew Reagan's economics would never trickle down to us. And we also knew we would never get a job in a factory or on a construction site. We were, I, at least, I don't know if we were all told this. I was told this specifically. You're not going to work in a garage and fix cars for a living. That's not an option anymore. If you want to work in a garage and fix cars, you got to go to college. Half a car is a computer now. You got to learn software if you want to fix cars. College or waiting tables were pretty much our only options. If we didn't go to college, you had to wait tables. And for most of us, if you wanted to go to college, you still had to wait tables a bit. That's how it turned out. And then, later on, here's what we weren't told and what happened to so many of us and that we went to college 
And then after college, waiting tables was still the only option left to us. There's no retiring anymore. I don't even know many boomers who've really retired. Like they say they retire and then within six months they're working as independent contractors because shit's expensive. <laughs> Life's expenses, expensive. And however much you think you saved or invested, like it turns out, oh, it, it's not quite as much as I thought it was going to be. I better take that uh, six week gig in Des Moines, <laughs> do some consulting. And the girl who mentioned retirement to me is a richy rich girl who will never have to save for anything because daddy set her up with a nice trust fund. And But I guess that's her idea of what dirty mud people like me aspire to. And it, she's not really wrong either. A lot of my generation clearly did not get the message that the retirement concept is over, if it ever really existed. I, th I think retirement existed for about two decades, maybe between 1948 and 1968. That was the window when a man could work for a company for 30 years, support a wife and a family, and then have a retirement package and a gold watch that would carry him through until he died at 68 of a heart attack. That was retirement. Retire at 62, die at 68, and leave a little bit of money behind so your kids can inherit something. Or at least they'll inherit the house. I think that model we've all been chasing if it ever existed, it existed for those 20 years. And that that's it. Since 1970, that shit's over. There's dudes my age still trying to get work in a coal mine. And for the ones who can actually get that work, they're probably in better financial shape than I am. <laughs> like, they might have the black lung, but they didn't just spend 90K over the last 12 years on a $48,000 student debt. They got to keep that money. They got to keep the black lung, but also the money. <laughs> so I, I spent the first quarter of my life preparing to go to college, you know, elementary school, high school. I uh, was in the army for about nine years to, uh, you know, get the college fund that, paid for about half of my college. And then I went to six years of undergrad and grad school. And then the next quarter of my life basically spent paying for the other half of my college that the army didn't cover. And now the third quarter of my life is going to be spent saving up to have the means to carry me through the last quarter of my life. And more than likely I'll come up short. Because investing is kind of bullshit. I guess the last six months, I've read maybe a handful of the top-rated whoop-de-fucking-do books on investing in anticipation of actually having some disposable income, and they're all the same. 
start buying index funds when you're 22, sit on them for 40 years, stay away from trading on the stock market because you will never beat the market over the long term, and you might be a millionaire for a couple of years before you die. That's basically the gist of all of these books. I don't know why each book takes somewhere between 250 to 400 pages to say that, but that, that's what they all say. And so at the end of that, if you're really lucky, when you die, you're spoiled deadbeat children will get into a fist fight at the reading of your will and say things to each other they can never take back. You know, those are the books. Boring, conservative, responsible advice. Which I guess works so long as the U.S. economy continues to grow in perpetuity, which is looking questionable. Especially now, especially since 2008, the Federal Reserve has been pumping trillions of dollars into our economy to prop it up since at least that long. And uh, a little thing, they give a fancy term to it, they call it quantitative easing, which may be legit, or it may be throwing dry leaves on a volcano to hide the fire. I don't know, because I'm not an economist, and economists don't know because economics is also kind of bullshit. But more to the point, what, I can't wrap my head around the U.S. economy. You know, no one can. It's too big. No one person can know all aspects of it. So if I just break something down that maybe I can wrap my head around, who the fuck buys index funds when they're 22 in the first place? I'll tell you who. I mean, that's a rhetorical question. I know who. No one interesting. That's who. Not one interesting person would have the stability or the, the dull tenacity needed to submit to the drudgery of pushing their pennies into a retirement account. When I was 22 and in the army, I knew a few guys my age who were all about their retirement accounts. They wouldn't shut the fuck up about their mutual funds. They were all Mormons, or at least Mormon adjacent. They had that Mormon type anima, like nice, inoffensive in a creepy kind of way, and universally, wildly unexceptional. Just boring motherfuckers who you might chat with at work a little bit, stay away from anything political or religious. And then you'd never hang out with them after work. <laughs> You're not going to their house for a Sunday barbecue. Fuck that. If you want to have the most boring Sunday ever, they just sit there and drink their, uh, their non-alcoholic beer and watch their dumb kids play in their above-ground pool. <laughs> like, that's who invests when they're 22. The same type of asshole who grew up to one day write a tedious book about investing. Which I'm sure was solid advice in post-World War II America. It's easy to look back in history and see what the right move was. But all this advice is based on investing money in index funds when you're 22 
1952. Wages in the U.S. have been stagnant for the last 50 years. Since 1970, why would 20th century lessons work in the 21st century? And also, rich people are boring. That's another problem with getting, like, money advice from rich people. It's like, sure, I guess they might know what they're talking about. I mean, they're rich. Maybe they know a thing or two about money. Not necessarily. But let's say they became rich and weren't just born rich. Maybe they know what they're talking about. They're boring. God damn it, they're boring. I've never really met an interesting rich person. They all think they're interesting. They all think they're interesting because they always have some hobby or like personal passion that has to do with anthropology or archaeology or genealogy, some humanities discipline that supports their theories about eugenics. <laughs> That's what rich people love to do. And I guess, you know, this is anecdotal. These are just like kind of the old money DC rich fucks I've met. Um, you know, I've never met any like West Coast Hollywood hedonistic ex-hippie rich people, you know, I'm sure they, they might be more fun, you know, just blood soaked sex orgies. Uh, I think they busted up one a couple of months ago in San Francisco. It sounded great. You know, there were like ponies, some sex party. There were like emus and ponies and little hired little people <laughs> it's like a fountain full of semen i don't know i've never met those kind of rich people maybe i'll take investment advice from them um the rich people i've met here on the east coast or from the northeast you know the blue blood fucks you know i've only met a handful i haven't met a whole lot but you know Basically, every time I go into a museum in D.C., I, I, I tell myself the display I'm looking at was probably donated by a Nazi enthusiast. Just some old bastard who writes to the History Channel and complains that they don't air enough Hitler content. But, uh, I mean, with without taking a boring rich person's advice. Like, what else am I going to do with my money? Like, what's the alternative to investing in an index fund? Either the U.S. economy will continue to grow, meaning my investments will grow, whether our economy grows artificially or not, you know, whether our economy is actually based in some kind of real value and not just some, uh, you know, Wall Street sleight of hands. I don't I don't know that that matters. Um, I mean, stocks go up. If stocks go up, they go up. Uh, or maybe the bill will come due and the economy will collapse and and we'll hit the great reset and nothing will be worth anything. You know, stocks or bonds or cash that you hide away in your mattress isn't worth shit. I guess I could buy gold. I could have like a little pile of gold. 
But gold isn't really fungible. Like, technically, it's fungible. You can exchange it for good or services, but it's not conveniently. I mean, I'm not going to Trader Joe's with, you know, gold coins. You know, you got to go to someone who buys, who the fuck buys gold? I don't know. Then you got to sell it, get your cash, whatever. It's a pain in the ass. Who the hell is buying gold other than shady pawn shops that are profiting from your dire straits? So I guess the answer is to trust that none of the really boring, wealthy Nazi sympathizers in the world want to see the U.S. economy fail. Hopefully, the U.S. economy failing would be so bad for everyone, or at least bad enough for most of the 1% that they'll do whatever they need to do to stop it from happening. Like they did in 2008. Preparing for any other scenario, being a prepper, is tedious and boring. Someone who builds a bunker and stocks it full of freeze-dried food is as boring as your typical rich person. Like, I just don't find money isn't that interesting. Although, I guess I have to say that now that I get to keep all my money and I don't owe anybody anything and I have an opportunity to try to to build some wealth. Money is more interesting than I... I find money more interesting than I used to. So when you're buried in debt and you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel and you've just resigned yourself to being debt-free only by your death... It's pretty hard to find any joy or optimism in money. So Dogecoin is sounding more and more attractive. Because now that I don't owe, don't owe anyone anything, like, and I get to keep my money, why would I want to do something responsible and boring with my money? The only reward for being responsible is the expectation of responsibility. If you're a responsible person, everyone around you starts to try to lean on you. Because <laughs> they're so irresponsible, they're constantly asking you for help. It's annoying. <laughs> like You figure your shit out. Leave me alone. And Dogecoin is like silly and fun. But you can't hold it in your hand. How I'd really like to celebrate paying off my student loans is like buy a bunch of silver coins and some loose gemstones over the next couple of years, you know, until I get like a respectable Jack Sparrow amount of pirate treasure and then I can just kind of roll around in it naked. That'd be fun. Do like Scrooge McDuck backstrokes in it. Gold coins would be better, obviously, but gold is like $1,800 an ounce or some shit, so my Viking horde would be uh, pretty unimpressive. But I wouldn't be Scrooge McTuck. I'd just end up being Silas Marner with a sad little sack of gold coins under my floorboards. Scrooge McTuck at least had some style. Uh, but yeah, enough about investment. I wanted to talk about student loans because uh, I'm angry <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Uh, 
And I can't really, you know, we're all getting fucked. It's not like I'm not a special case. Um, so I'll, I've got, you know, sympathy for everyone. For definitely veterans, but that's more because I'm a veteran. But, um, I mean, who's really getting fucked are uh, teachers. And I don't, you know, I don't hold teachers up on a pedestal. Like, you know, perhaps we should. You know, the the concept of a of an elementary school teacher is important. I think maybe that's just kind of a you know in a romantic way. You know, they're they're shaping the fucking future or whatever. In reality, you know, most teachers are fucking idiots. So, but I do have sympathy when they get you know they get fucked by the government because I've been fucked by the government. Um, And not that I, you know, I never entered any contracts with the government not expecting to get fucked. That's that's just kind of how it goes. Um, but teachers especially, because they, uh, they had that whole program I kept hearing about for at least a decade, where if, if you're a teacher and you volunteer to teach in like a poor school, um... It's something to do with like the like where a certain percentage of the kids get a free lunch because you know they're poor, um, and that might be the only meal they get that day. If you volunteer to teach in that school, after a minimum number of years, I don't know if it was like four years or six years or something, or maybe as much as ten, um, your student loans would be forgiven. You know, it was an incentive to get good teachers to disadvantaged schools and now all those teachers are getting fucked because they're not getting their loans paid off because whatever government I guess it's the, the Department of Education I think it, it was something it was less than 1% of all the teachers who were in this program actually got any educational assistance at all less than 1% because the Department of Education would find any excuse to deny your claim. That's bullshit. Uh, your veterans' benefits, if you join the military, they're not all that cracked up to be. I, I joined the Army in 1994. I got out in 2003. So I received a Vietnam-era GI Bill college fund for an Obama era, well, I guess Bush was Bush. Yeah, Bush was still in. For a Bush era, war on terror tuition rates. And in that time, college tuition within that nine years had gone up over 500%. So when I was finally eligible to get my college benefits, I was basically getting 1994 college benefits you know it's bullshit and then you know i made it work i got a bunch of loans got some grants what you know your regular federal pell grants um got some loans by the end of six years i had about forty eight thousand dollars in student debt and i probably 
Yeah, so I guess it would have been about a total of $100,000 for undergrad and grad school. So I owed the difference. And I just paid it off, and I'm fucking angry. I listened to a podcast. Uh, I've, there's something called um, Sugar Baby University. And it's fantastic. So basically, basically it's it's like a dating site. I guess it is a dating site. It's a dating site for pretty much just college girls and older rich dudes or just older dudes with money. And it hooks up the young college girls with an older sugar daddy who will pay for their college, basically, to date them. It's a complete transactional relationship. Borderline, if not over-the-line prostitution, and I love it. And I only kind of regret that it's it really, it, it's only going to work for, like, a wealthy dude and a young college girl. Like, the flip side is, uh, that, that doesn't really exist in the world. <laughs> there might be a few older, rich ladies who get themselves like a young college kid dude, but that's, I, I, that's really not how relationships between men and women work. Um, there might be a few of those, but the bulk of this sugar baby university and it's fantastic. And I'm a little jealous like that. That was not actually that was kind of an option for me. Um, I did have I call her my sugar mama. Uh, but I because I'm a dude and I've got pride. I couldn't really allow her to be my sugar mama. So I think I was like 28 at the time. She was 42, 43, something like that. You know, she made great money. She did something in the financial world you know she made a couple hundred grand a year uh i dated her for about six months and she wanted to pay for everything like she wanted to be a sugar mama but i i couldn't really i like so i ended up spending more money trying to keep up with her just more money i didn't have trying to keep up with this girl because <laughs> i just couldn't submit to the fact that like oh i didn't you know i didn't want to be owned I didn't want to have to owe her anything. Um, or she wanted to take me to Italy. And I'm like, that sounds great. But, you know, if you take me to Italy and pay for it, I'm going to I'm gonna owe you another six months in this relationship. I don't want to, you know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that. I want to feel like I have to owe you shit. Uh, you know, maybe. I, sometimes I wish I could have been more of just like a mercenary piece of shit. <laughs> But I couldn't really do it. Um, but I don't know if 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 we had had like an honest, frank conversation about, you know, having a transactional sort of relationship. You know, if it was all out in the open, I might have been down for it. I don't know. But yeah, we didn't have that. You know, it was a relationship. You don't. Uh, yeah. You don't you don't have that kind of talk in a relationship, uh, or at least I don't. Also, uh, I read a great article about uh, expat Americans living in Europe, 
who will never come back to the U.S. because they're just ne never going to pay their student loans. Most of them are like six figures in debt. Um, you know, like they went to, you know, half of med school and then dropped out. Uh, and they're living in like, you know, Prague and Budapest teaching English. And they're just going to be there forever because if they come back to the States, their wages are going to be garnished because they've been defaulted on their student loans. Um, but if I had felt that my, uh, especially my graduate degree, my MFA, if I had felt that I had actually learned anything, I might not be as angry. I didn't, ex I didn't expect like getting a, getting an art degree, like a master's of fine arts. I didn't expect that to pay for itself. I did expect to master the particular craft, the round for creative writing. I did expect to master writing. Like they would teach me those skills and they didn't. And that's really why I'm angry. I don't really care about the money that much. It's that I got nothing for it. So I was watching, uh, is that Friday? Yeah. So a couple of nights ago, I was watching uh, L.A. Confidential, one of my favorite movies. It's a fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, you have to go see it. Or just get it on Amazon or whatever. It's fan It's one of the best movies ever ever made. It's fantastic. Um, so, And I haven't seen it in about a decade, and the girlfriend hadn't seen it. So I'm like, oh, well, let's watch this. Um, and uh, so I hadn't seen it in about 10 years, and I'm watching it, and... What I know about writing now, I don't, I probably, I wouldn't say I mastered the craft of storytelling yet, but I'm definitely well on my way. And so generally I can watch a movie and it's, it's kind of like seeing the matrix, like, uh, in that movie, the matrix, when, uh, when they're looking at the, at the, the computer representation on the screen of the matrix and it's just, you know, it's like a waterfall of code. So I'll watch a movie and it's basically like I can see that now, just the parts and the the parts and pieces and how everything fits together as I'm watching a movie and I'm like, oh yeah. And I just see the points which, you know, just coming out of grad school, I you know, I wouldn't see that. They didn't teach that shit to me. Just ba and it's not even once once somebody points it out to you, it's pretty obvious. It's not it's not a it's not the Da Vinci code. <laughs> Which having, you know, as I'm closer to uh, achieving mastery in writing and storytelling, uh, The Da Vinci Code is not a good book. <laughs> not at all. But uh, yeah, it's it's not hard. You just need somebody to point it out to you. N at no point in my graduate degree you know, did anybody teach that to me. They didn't even, and I realized later because they didn't know. They don't know that shit. I had to learn it from some dude online. <laughs> I just found a like a, a little writing workshop that used Zoom back before Zoom was in all of our lives. Um, I, I think I started, you know, just started taking these little just online courses um, given by this uh, this kind of retired screenwriter. He wrote, uh, I don't know, he used to write for Ridley Scott and he was, he was a professional screenwriter and this was specifically workshops for um, writing film and television and uh, I guess 
you know, you, you sign up for a course, they're like 500 bucks each, which is pretty reasonable. Um, it's eight or 10 weeks. You meet once a week. He'll critique your writing. He gives you specific, you know, exercises to learn the craft of writing. He just starts from the beginning and assumes you basically know nothing because he knows that most writers don't really know what the fuck they're doing. They usually just kind of like accidentally write a good story. That's why there's so many like one hit wonders. You just kind of, you know, you have talent as a writer, but talent is really something you just pull out of your ass. You don't really know what you're doing. It's like being good at basketball doesn't mean you can teach basketball because you just kind of have this ability to do it and you can't necessarily translate what you're doing so that someone else can recreate it. But this guy was, you know, just great uh, writing coach. And so I, I took all his courses. I guess it took about two and a half years. I get, I probably paid, you know, over that time, 2,500, 3,000 tops. And then now I can watch any movie and just see where all the parts and pieces fit together. And I can recreate a story using the parts and pieces. And then I paid $90,000 over 12 years on $48,000 worth of student loans, you know, with the interest and everything. And I learned fucking nothing. (laughs) That's why I'm angry. Somewhat the money, but more the fact that I got nothing, absolutely nothing for that money. And I suspect most degrees are like that. Most degrees that everyone gets from college is fucking bullshit. So when I hear like Bernie, like I like, I like Bernie. I'm definitely not a Bernie bro. But I kind of liked Bernie. I might have voted for him if, you know, if he had ever made his way onto the ticket, depending on who he was running against. When Bernie runs on, like, free college, I get it. Who doesn't love free shit? But that just means the taxpayers are going to pay, you know, it's not free. (laughs) We're all going to pay for college, whether we go or not. That's basically what free college means, Uh, which is fine. I'm not necessarily against that, but also what the fuck are we learning in college? Is it useful? College used to be kind of special, I guess, because most people didn't go. But now that almost everyone goes, or at least half of us go, it really doesn't mean anything. It's kind of pointless. And anyone who's ever run a business or sold a product or a service, like, you know that people don't value free. If you give someone something for free, that person you give it to will attach no value to it. It doesn't mean anything. It may have some emotional value. You know, a gift can have some emotional value, but that's really between two people. If you just get a free thing from the government, it's not worth anything. If college is free to everyone, then what is its value? And then also, I guess more more because I'm a veteran, like then what the fuck is the point of the GI Bill? 
what's the point of teaching in a disadvantaged public school? What's the point of public service at all? You know, everything has a, is transactional. I didn't join the army because I love my country. No one who joins the military joins because they love their country. You join because there's a chance it will give you more opportunities than you have now. You know, you're going to get something out of it. No one joins because they love the fucking flag. You join for whatever, lots of reasons, to get job skills or college money. So if college is free to everybody, I mean, what what's that... What does that do for military service? There's something called AmeriCorps, which I, it's almost like a domestic, you know, it's not military, but it's like a, it's like a domestic service. Um, but I don't think we really put much, I, I like the idea of that, you know, and in any, I don't really have grandiose fantasies of becoming president but if i were to become president like i'd kind of concentrate on that you know having a national service where you don't have to go blow shit up and shoot people in the face you know it can just be like it'd be great during a pandemic (laughs) it's like who's gonna put the shots in people's arms fucking americorps you know just shit like that you know the disaster relief you know, we kind of like rope the National Guard into doing that. But we have this thing called AmeriCorps that I've, I've barely heard of. Uh, it'd be cool if we could expand that. And then that way you could earn college money and you don't have to go to war to get it. But you can perform some sort of like national service. And then that might actually, or you could even make it mandatory. I'm not really into making things mandatory, but especially the military, you know, a draft is or like compulsory military service. Really, it just makes your military worse because you got a bunch of people in it who don't want to be there. Um, but something like AmeriCorps, where yeah, you gotta you gotta join AmeriCorps for two years, dig some ditches, and then you get free college. Just something like that, you know. You have to give a little bit to the states, and then you get something back from the state. Um, but I don't know, maybe that. Maybe that encourages too much nationalism for people. (laughs) I think it's a good idea. But, of course, because it's a good idea, it'll never happen. Um, Yeah, so if college is free to everyone, what is its value? Right now, I have the opposite problem. Like, my education was so expensive, and I got nothing out of it. I consider my degrees worthless and a waste of time, and they are completely worthless and a waste of time. Um, and this is America. Everything is a consumer experience, even college. So the ideal consumer experience is to feel like the value of your purchase exceeds the cost. I had a bunch of very nice... And very useless college professors who would probably tell me that an education isn't a consumer experience and that education is a right or a privilege or a civic duty or some other banal bullshit. And that is why they sucked as teachers. 
That's why my education was useless because of them and their fucking attitude. This is America, motherfucker. Everything is a consumer experience, and usually it's a scam. I think OnlyFans might be the only legit consumer experience left in America. I want to see your tits. Here's some money. And then you show me your tits. Tit for tat. I read about uh, some mom who went on OnlyFans and is doing some like dirty porn stuff to put her daughter through law school. And I'm like, yeah, great. It's awesome. That's a classic American story. I love it. But then, uh, you know, as you read the article, you realize like the mom is already a career stripper. It's not, she's not some like devout Christian housefrau who fell in hard times. Um, she was a stripper and then she got shut down because of COVID. So she just took her stripping online and made money that way. Uh, it's great. You know, that it's, that's a great pull yourself up by your bootstraps American story. But what if the daughter had other options to pay for law school besides her mom's tits? What if she could do a few years of public service? Then her stripper mother could keep all the money she made doing her jerk off instructionals. Like I'm not trying to I'm not trying to say the mom shouldn't have to. I mean the mother shouldn't have to do that to pay for law school. But I'm not saying the mother shouldn't do that. The mom totally. I mean, if the mom's got great tits, yeah, show them off. But maybe her daughter wouldn't have to use that money for law school and her mom could, like, buy a house with it or something or buy Dogecoin or whatever the fuck she wants to do. It's her tits. She spend that money however she wants. The daughter could do a few years of pub- public service. Maybe she could join AmeriCorps as, as like, a, their version of JAG, and she could, uh, you know, just basically give free legal help to, you know, immigrants at the border or whatever. And then, uh, you know, she's like a little legal intern. And then she does that for a few years and then she gets her law school paid for, you know. And then she can defend drug dealers with her shiny new Harvard Law degree. That sounds great to me. Also, um, someone should tell the mom that uh, the legal industry has been saturated for 20 years and there aren't enough jobs for all the shady lawyers in America. Like, it, I, would, I would say the mom should have a, have, an, have a heart-to-heart with her daughter and say, hey, I'm showing my big naturals on OnlyFans to pay for your school. Get into STEM. Stop trying to be a dumbass lawyer. Study engineering. We don't have enough motherfuckers like actually making shit in this country. But, I, you know, that doesn't take away from the legit com- consumer experience her mother is offering. Mom's got great tits. Show off them tits. Get paid for it. And there's some famous girl named... Bella Thorne, who I don't know who she is or why she's famous, probably because I'm a straight dude in my 40s and I don't really give a shit about girls in their 20s anymore or however old she is. 
apparently she went on OnlyFans and made a million dollars in a day and didn't even show one titty. So I guess even OnlyFans is a scam now. I can't imagine anyone paying money to not see someone's tits. <laughs> like, what am I paying for? I mean, I respect that girl's hustle. I respect the hustle. I respect the scam. Probably don't respect her talent because I don't know what the fuck she does, but I respect her ability to hustle, to make a million dollars a day and not show one nipple. And I, I read a whole article about her, Bella Thorne, and the OnlyFans drama, and at no point did the article mention what she actually does. <laughs> I'm just reading the whole thing going, does she sing? Does she act? Is she so famous I'm supposed to know? Like, I did I did like how other girls on OnlyFans complained that she used her, her privilege as a celebrity to succeed on OnlyFans. It kind of runs parallel to some drama that's happening on Substack. Substack is a uh, subscription service for writers and independent journalists. It's kind of like Patreon, but for writing. And then uh, apparently there's a bunch of unsuccessful people on this service who no one wants to read their nonsense. And they're trying to get all the successful people who are making serious money, get them kicked off. <laughs> because <laughs> people are idiots. They think that if they get the successful writers kicked off of Substack, that all their readers are just going to stay and be forced to read the shitty writers. <laughs> and the only reason these successful writers have an audience on Substack is because they brought their audience to Substack. If the successful writers leave, their audience goes with them. <laughs> them getting kicked off the Substack, it'll be inconvenient. They'll have to find another, another way you know, to monetize their writing, but it, it's, that's not an insurmountable obstacle. It's a week or two of, you know, like, fuck, now we gotta, now we gotta, uh, build another site. And I'm not even, I'm not a crazy free market guy, but I appreciate the benefits and simple elegance of an uncorrupted free market. And both OnlyFans and Substack are new enough that they probably haven't been corrupted that much yet. Not like Facebook or Twitter or Google. So how are you going to complain that no one wants to see your not famous titties? No one wants to read your shitty writing. How a market works is a few superstars bring their audience to a platform. And now if you're on that platform, you got a chance to get a hold of part of that audience. I mean, no one just looks at one pair of titties. No one is that, uh, I don't know, what's the word? No one is that devoted to a pair of titties that they won't look at another pair. No one just reads only from one writer. If you're a good writer, you get a chance to get those people to also read your writing. They can read more than one thing. Student loans, let's get back to student loans. <laughs> Sorry, I'm rambling. Student loans are, um, they're also a bipartisan moneymaker. 
So as I've been digging into the, the history of our entire student loan debacle, um, the reason we don't really talk, like we, we, you'll see in the news that like student loan debt is crazy. It's, it's currently like $1.7 trillion of student loan debt. Um, but our, I don't know. Our media doesn't really talk about it because you can't blame one person. You can't blame Democrats. You can't blame Republicans because everyone is equally guilty. Um, so there's no there's no real hook. There's nowhere to really funnel your anger, and that's kind of what our you know our mainstream news media is really all about: getting you angry and keeping you angry. So you stay tuned in and they make more money in advertising because they own your eyeballs. But you can't really do that with student loans because access to federal money for school was mostly granted by Democrats. But then Republicans, you know, like Betsy DeVos, profit from managing the debt, that student debt. But also there are plenty of rich Democrats owe their wealth to the student debt industrial complex i find the democrats a little more repulsive because they'll phrase it like their their predatory practices they'll phrase them like they're doing good in the world and they believe it they believe they're doing good in the world we're providing educations to millions of dirty poor people look at what good people we are and at least republicans do me the favor of not pretending they're not tony soprano They'll bullshit me with phrases like, you know, uh, a man honors his debts and pays his debts, which really means, you know, I don't care how I get paid so long as I get paid. <laughs> but I don't feel like the, the conservatives or the Republicans profiting from it. I don't feel like they're entertaining fantasies of getting into heaven because they're loan sharks. It's a little more mercenary and honest with them. So college... A hundred years ago, it was for rich kids. Not smart kids, just rich kids. Which was fine because there were plenty of other options for employment and success. You know, there were trade schools and apprenticeships and manufacturing. And then in 1944, FDR signed the GI Bill. And that gave education benefits to World War II veterans. And they didn't really do this out of the good of their heart. Mostly... FDR and Congress, they didn't want a repeat of what happened after World War One, because after World War One, all these veterans came back from the from the trenches in France. They flooded the labor market in America, and there weren't enough jobs for everybody. And then this situation, so there's massive unemployment. This situation led to the Bonus March in 1932, and you know the Great Depression was happening and the Dust Bowl. And then that led to something called the Bonus March in 1932, which is pretty much like the, the January 6th, you know, March on the Capitol, we just said. <laughs> March slash riot slash insurrection, depending on what you read. Um, that happened in 1932. Although I don't think they, they didn't storm the Capitol building. But there were 20,000 veterans marched on the Capitol for two months straight. Every day, two months straight. And all these veterans are just camping on the mall. And they're like squatting in vacant buildings because they're demanding compensation that they had been promised, 
like it's kind of like their their war reparations, I guess, or they were going to get paid money for being World War II veterans. But for some reason, this wasn't going to come to them until like the 1940s. <laughs> From World War One, you know, World War One was you know 1917. And this is already 1932. So somehow they they promised all these unemployed veterans they were going to get money in 20 years. So the veterans are probably like, hey, we need the money now, motherfucker. There's no jobs. We need some stimulus. So they did not get the money. Instead, Herbert Herbert Hoover was president at this time. He sent in the army under General MacArthur to break them up and set fire to all the camps. And it did not look great for America. And uh, so FDR and his administration, they did not want to repeat that little bit of history post-World War II. So they came up with the GI Bill. And the GI Bill turned out to be one of the great success stories of American policy. Um, Then general U.S. student loan programs started in 1958, that's when they started giving money to non-veterans, and that was under the National Defense Education Act. So they didn't give it to veterans, but it was still under the guise of national defense because we were like, uh, it was right after uh, Soviet Union launched Sputnik, and we were in like a, we were in a space and technology race, and we were afraid the fucking commies were going to beat us. So as a matter of national security, the U.S. started offering loans to students pursuing basically like STEM degrees, science, technology, and shit like that. Then in the 60s, with the Civil Rights Act, student loans were offered more broadly with the intention of encouraging more economic mobility and equal opportunity for women and minorities. And since 1970, family incomes for 80% of Americans have not kept pace with inflation. And since 1987, tuition rates for public universities have increased more than 500%. So tuition rates have gone up 500%. Wages have not gone up. So the where we fill the gap is student loans. Most of us got to go in debt. And increasingly, it's crazy amounts of debt to get degrees that are worth less and less. We're at the point now that American universities are really more and more becoming institution where rich kids from China go to cheat and plagiarize off of Korean American kids. That's basically Harvard. The students who incur the most debt are those who attend for-profit universities, which is a whole other world. Um, Black students also, especially black students who go to historically black colleges, like uh, we have Howard in D.C. Apparently, uh, that shit's not free. (laughs) And uh, religious schools, people go to like a seminary or something like that, or usually like a whatever the Protestant equivalent is. I don't know if they call it a seminary. Uh... So black college students and people who go to for-profit universities make sense because they're basically in the boat I was in. You know, like the first person in your family to go to college, um, which unless your parents owned a successful working class business, you're pretty much on your own for footing the bill. If your parents didn't go to college, 
they probably can't afford to send you to college. So I was basically a very pale but very proud minority college student. Except I didn't qualify for any special scholarships. So that's why I joined the army. Um, but the religious schools is interesting because religious schools have the most debt per student. And I know there's got to be something shady going on because religion is a great tool for hustling money out of people. So, you know, in the same way a Trump university is just a, a money suck, you're not going to get anything out of it. And you're just going to, you know, basically steal your students' money. I think religious schools are kind of doing the same thing. Because really, if you go to a religious school, like, and you get your religious degree, well, who the fuck's going to hire you? <laughs> what can you do? It's like, I'm selling widgets, motherfucker. I don't need you to, like, interpret the Bible for me. <laughs> Although religion is a lot about sales. So if you can sell a religion, you can sell a widget. Maybe it's just a sales class. Um, yeah. So where we're at now in America is the median individual student debt is around $25,000. And where people are really fucked is if you didn't even finish school and you didn't even get a degree, you still owe the money and you don't even have, you can't even put the degree on your resume. Although I would because no one ever checks. <laughs> no, no, you just, you just put, you have your degree on your resume. I've never heard of anybody actually checking to see if you actually have that degree, unless you're like, if you're publishing papers, maybe someone will call you on it eventually. But if you're just working in an office, I mean, I've never, I've never heard of anyone having to bring their like college transcript in to prove <laughs> that they even went to college. Uh, yes, you just lie. And then, uh, just switch jobs every three years. Like you probably never get called on it. 